0: radical left has taken over the Democratic Party Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 36, recorded on Friday, May 14th from Milwaukee. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Jason.
0: And on today's episode, we have special guest Sarah Yakub on with us to discuss how the Democratic Party can reach rural voters. But first, the headlines.
1: The fact is that
2: everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar.
1: First up in headlines, Liz Cheney has been officially removed as the chairperson of the House Republican Committee. She has. And has been replaced, as we expected as well, with New York Representative Liz Stefanik. So what do you think this says right now about the current state of the Republican Party? It says that everyone's getting in line behind Trump. And anybody who doesn't fall in line with his messaging and fights back against him and his personality and his brand of politics is not going to be favored in the party.
0: So but right after they did this, Kevin McCarthy, the House minority leader, met with Joe Biden and right afterwards he was interviewed saying that no one's questioning the legitimacy of the twenty twenty election and that Joe Biden is the proper legitimate president of They'd the United have to States.
1: Explain to me what's going on in Arizona then.
0: I mean <laughs> I mean, you're right. So, but how crazy is this where they literally expel someone for saying that there is no such thing as the big lie like Trump is trying to say, and then literally right after McCarthy ousts her, he goes and does the exact same thing, and nothing will happen to him.
1: Well, that's it's just the same that they've been doing, right? You say one thing, you do something else. They know that the American people are tired of all of the election conspiracy theories, like as a whole. Yes, there's a fringe that's still into it. They're all down in Arizona right now, volunteering, looking
0: for bamboo. <laughs>
1: the cyber ninjas. <laughs> but. As a majority, I think the country is over it. It's been six months now since the election. Joe Biden is clearly the president. It's done. So they know that they have to embrace that mindset for a good chunk of the electorate while still working as hard as they can (laughs) to appease the hardcore Trumpers. And that's why they're doing things like running this recount in Arizona and talking about bringing it to Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and everywhere else that Trump lost.
0: Now, and don't get me wrong, again, I'm trying to steel man this the best that I can, where when you have your leadership that's split in its messaging pretty overtly, that does not Bode well for your party. So, like, for example, when Liz Cheney started talking about how this was ridiculous and how Trump should be out of Republican politics and out of the Republican Party, Democrats immediately seized on it, saying, Well, look at this leader over here saying that Trump should be gone too. Like, why aren't the rest of you guys doing this? So, I I get that how that looks bad. And I'm kind of curious to your thoughts on this, Jason. And I mean, I know I have mine already, but several Republicans have already been comparing this to saying something like, Well, if Democrats had this person in leadership who is saying that they don't believe in climate change you wouldn't see them be a democrat anymore
1: yeah well it's it's basically saying well you wouldn't embrace this dangerous conspiracy theory and we kicked out the person that wouldn't embrace the dangerous conspiracy theory in our party ha gotcha
0: <laughs> that's the best it can be right it's the whole idea of like well i mean you're just as bad as us argument it's so stupid. Even while
1: being completely the opposite.
0: <laughs> but even then, like, if you're trying to like look at the comparable situations that are being imposed here, you literally have one saying, okay, I'm an actual climate change denier. I'm ignoring all the evidence from all these experts from all around the world versus, yeah, the election
1: was rigged. Again, they're, they're two dangerous conspiracy theories that like are being rejected by the same party and embraced by the other party and... I don't see how there's any inconsistency there.
0: And I wouldn't say in retaliation to all this, but... Liz, as well as many other Republicans, have also said about splitting from the Republican Party, doing like a more moderate type of like third Republican Party.
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful. They would never win another right. election. <laughs> that would be the best case scenario.
0: Exactly. So please do that for us. All right. But I also have to say at this point, if you're still proudly a Republican and you're voting Republican consistently and you like the people who are in power in the Republican Party, like I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Like this is literally just extremism that you one at this point. There isn't any real cohesion. There isn't any actual platform that we talked about literally because back when Trump was running, there was literally no platform. And now it's all about how you can placate to this guy who's not even in the party anymore.
1: And as we said last week, Liz Cheney was the more consistent conservative. Right.
0: So, if you're still in the party and you don't agree with this, what are you even doing? Go be a libertarian or something or be the the Cheney forever party. <laughs>
1: the George W. Bush Memorial Republican Party.
0: I feel like Jeb Bush would be a part of that party. He would try really hard to be a part of like that party just to get the presidential campaign nomination again.
1: I like that memorial designation, too, because it's like killing off George Bush in the, <laughs> in the process. <laughs>
0: Up next, many restaurants and service businesses are reporting a mass labor shortage as people are not going back to work when restaurants are opening back up.
1: Yeah, who wants to put their life on the line for minimum wage that Republicans won't <laughs> increase?
0: Well, and this has kind of been going viral, too, when you see like all the like little paper signs on their doors saying, well, we're closed today or limited hours today because no one's coming in to work.
1: Yeah, You are a bad employer. I'm not surprised. And the Republican messaging is, we need to stop unemployment benefits so people are forced to take these crappy jobs that they don't want.
0: Well, Quite literally. And they're using the same freaking talking points as they would use over and over again, calling people lazy, entitled. It's absolutely insane. We are actually now in a movement where people are starting to realize the value of their own worth. And people are actively trying to make it so that they work in horrible conditions. And they're not even like the big people at the top. There are other people who would be working in the horrible conditions.
1: I don't get it. If you had a decent job with good benefits and good conditions and it paid well and you could support yourself on it, no one would pass that up.
0: Well, that's business 101. Because if you can't find people who are willing to take your
1: job, that means there is low demand for your job. Everyone knows those unemployment benefits are going to be temporary. Yes. No one They're they're
0: going to be gone. Was it September?
1: Yeah. September. Right. Yeah. So no one is thinking that that's a career. They're just not. Why would you take less pay and put yourself at personal risk? There is still a risk involved right now with working in a public service job like that. Not everyone is vaccinated. The vaccines are not 100% effective. There is still somewhat of a risk to being that close to a ton of people who are not wearing masks in restaurants for less than you're getting right now on unemployment, which is not that great. It's not like these people are living in mansions eating caviar on unemployment. They are just basically being able to pay their rent and their day-to-day bills, and that's it. And as we talked about with minimum wage, they would not be able to even do that. So yeah, they're not flocking to return to these crappy jobs that don't have any incentive for them to take. That's not their fault. They're not being lazy. They're not being the stereotypical well, I'm just gonna live in my parents' basement until I'm fifty. Millennial, you know, that that stereotype. They're just being reasonable and understanding that it's a worse position for them to be in to take that job.
0: Well, and I'm so sick of the talking point of where people are saying that, well, why don't you go get a trade job? Bro, I'm not a f***ing tradesman. Like, that's what makes me so frustrated about this whole thing.
1: And Biden wants to make trade schools tuition free. Free,
0: Right. And they're opposed to that. But on top of that, I think the resentment and the feelings are real. I truly understand because there was a lot of issues where people would look down on on trade jobs and blue collar jobs and labor jobs back, we'll say, at least my entire life, which would be about 20, 30 years.
1: IT is a trade job.
0: Right. But when we talk about people going to college, their first response usually is, well, not, college isn't for everybody. And I agree with that. College is not for everybody. People shouldn't have to just go to a four year college or get a four year degree to make a job or to get a job in this country. Perfect. But at the same freaking time, that means that you should not have to expect people to work a job that they're not meant for. Because guess what? Jobs are not generic. No one can just work any job that they want to because these are not just very low stress jobs. These are very high stress, high demand types of jobs that take a lot of work and a lot of effort.
1: And if you take a low paying job in a service industry right now that also means you don't have time to go to interviews for other jobs Wait, get literally. your resume together all yes. those other things that you would rather just stay on unemployment and find a better job versus just taking anything so that you can get back in the workforce and then be stressed out working 50 hours a week and you know taking care of your kids and then how are you supposed to find that next job in your spare time
0: Correct. Because the whole point of government is to give you the best ground foundation as possible so you can focus on yourself and develop yourself and the way you want to live your life without having to worry about surviving till the next day. That's the whole point of what government should be doing. And we're doing it. And we also have to realize here, too, just because these types of jobs have been starting to open up because restaurants are opening again, that doesn't mean other higher paying jobs are coming back at the same rate where you actually have Republicans who are trying to blame this on Joe Biden right now because the Bureau of Labor Statistics came back with pretty low April jobs numbers because it was still growing, but not the rate that it was estimated to. We're still coming out of the pandemic.
1: There's also a lot of lies being told. By people saying that they're paying, you know, twenty dollars an hour for dishwashers until anyone actually investigates. And yeah, I don't believe that, that for a second. That's not true. Those ads aren't out there. They found one uh, where it was a restaurant tour who went on, of course, Fox News to say that, and then someone looked it up, and the ad was actually for an experienced line cook. For up to $21 an hour, yeah, you know which that, always means that's not what you're getting.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to end up being like $14 to $15 an hour.
1: Right, which is low, For an experienced line cook, so you know he's paying the dishwasher's minimum wage. Exactly.
0: Let's stop keeping our own people down here. Let's actually worry about lifting them up and stop trying to rub each other in the dirt just to make ourselves feel better about ourselves.
1: And in making yourself feel better than other people, I've seen images online of people filling plastic garbage bags with gasoline, Joe. Why is that?
0: Um, lack of education... Hellenical thinking skills, high sense of immortality. I don't know. Gasoline fumes. (laughs) (laughs) The American education system. I mean, we can keep going. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons why people are putting gas in garbage (laughs) bags. But the real reason why is because gas prices are rising due to a shortage of gas. Well, kind of. Yes. No. Supposedly. A temporary
1: shortage. That's already over.
0: Right. Weirdly enough, the Colonial Pipeline on the
1: East Coast of the United States actually suffered a cyber attack. Where are the cyber ninjas where you need them?
0: They they were hacking the pipeline. (laughs)
1: They're too busy looking for bamboo in paper in Arizona. They weren't protecting our pipeline.
0: The Colonial Pipeline, which is the main fuel pipeline for the East Coast, was forced to shut down after the attack, forcing drivers to panic and buy gas by the, what, like, megaton
1: five-gallon garbage bag full.
0: (laughs) By the five-gallon garbage bag full. I, I understand. Even though
1: they knew right from the start that this would be very temporary, it's not like the pipeline exploded or anything. It was a cyber attack, forced them to shut it down so that they could fix their security issues, and it was going to be back up and running. They said that right away. It would be a few days at most. But people still freaked out this hoarding mentality that we've seen on display over the last year.
0: Well, that's because gas prices on average in the United States... They went up by
1: like 8 cents.
0: Yeah, and went up to over $3 a gallon for an average, which scared the crap out of people.
1: Gas doesn't last. You can't just hoard it and keep it forever no it goes bad very quickly and just the fact that you had to buy well i guess that's where the the bag people come in but the people that were actually buying gas cans to fill up you're never going to make that difference back just the price of the gas can alone is way more than the difference in the gas price and you're buying it as it's going up which is always a bad idea Mm -hmm. it was just A poor idea to begin with, and a representation of why not everyone should play the stock market, I feel.
0: (laughs) And Republicans took no time trying to blame Joe Biden for the entire thing.
1: Thanks, Obama.
0: You know what drives me absolutely insane, especially with the whole gas price thing, is that... So the president, depending on what the issues are, usually doesn't have any sway over what the gas prices are to be. Like, it it can to some extent, but not nearly as what people think it is.
1: And... Most of the time, it's outside forces outside of our country. Like, Russia decides they're running out of money and they need to sell as much oil as they possibly can, which is the reason that oil prices went down a year and a half ago when COVID started. Yep, That's what controls. It's not really, as you said, it's not within the power of the United States president. We do have a strategic oil reserve. There are some things that can influence gas prices that are U.S. policy, but for the most part, it's all of the larger oil-producing countries.
0: Yes. And what's interesting is that Republicans and conservatives, back when Trump was president and prices were going up, and you you saw the same BS arguments that from liberals were making the exact same thing too, and then you saw the same thing happen with um, conservatives talking about it under Obama as well, but those same conservatives were the first ones to point out. The president doesn't have any control over the gas prices back when Trump was president. And now, just out of freaking nowhere, Joe Biden's the reason why we have our entire country in shambles right now. It's freaking ridiculous, man.
1: It's over prices will be back to normal soon
0: the pipeline has already restarted, and like jason said prices should go back down to normal fairly soon so that's good
1: well from a problem that was relatively easy to solve to one that's near impossible but almost as
0: explosive
1: (laughs) let's talk about what's going on in israel so this is a very long-standing issue technically dates all the way back to world war one when britain carved up the ottoman empire but let's actually start with the fallout of world war ii and in 1948 when israel became a state it was supposed to be a two-state solution with israel and palestine palestine rejected the plan israel accepted it became a state and expelled the arab palestinians that were living in west jerusalem Mm mm-hmm They were moved to refugee camps in East Jerusalem. West Jerusalem is thought to be the capital of Israel. East Jerusalem is claimed as the capital of Palestine. And remember, this is also the birthplace of all three Abrahamic religions. You have the Temple Mount, which is the supposed location of the Temple of Solomon. You have the Al-Aqsa Mosque, where Muhammad spoke to God. And you have the holy, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which includes the supposed birthplace of Jesus, all in the same area. Israel has, basically since its inception, tried to take over the entire city of Jerusalem and pretty much all of the land that is claimed by the Palestinians. Currently, the Palestinians hold East Jerusalem, the area East of there and the Gaza Strip, which is on the western side of Israel, so it's separated. There have been settlers, they call they call the settler movement, where Israelis using a lot of money from European and US groups to create settlements in basically unoccupied area in the Palestinian land and also they buy houses and apartments in occupied east jerusalem israel does not consider it to be an occupation right there was multiple wars that were fought in the intervening years between 1948 and now where israel seized a lot of this land they're considered internationally as an occupying force by the un by pretty much the entire world and there are laws that govern what you can do in occupied land. You're not allowed to kick people out of their pro- their houses. You're not allowed to move your citizens in. But this is exactly what Israel does because they don't consider it an occupation. They consider that to be part of the nation of Israel. They consider their laws to be the sovereign laws of that land, whereas the rest of the world does not. And this That's, is what leads to a lot of the subjugation of the Palestinian people. They're con- it's an apartheid state. They're treated as second-class citizens. They yeah. don't have the same rights as the Jewish uh, population. They're not recognized as having the same rights in their courts. That's the backdrop that you, I guess you have to kind of understand to start <laughs> right. what we're talking about here. So it's a very long... Winded story? Well, and I think
0: one thing we should also really keep in mind, too, is the absolute power imbalance
1: where you will see a lot
0: of people talk about the Palestinian-Israeli conflicts. They'll try to say, like, well, it's just two warring
1: nations going against each other. Like, no, there's a definite power imbalance. Tilted towards Israel. Israel is one of the most technologically advanced militaries in the world, heavily funded by the United States. Thanks Obama. President Obama signed a ten year, forty billion dollar agreement to give uh, Israel defense funding, which is basically just a way to funnel US taxpayer money to the defense contractors. That's not like they're not just giving them four billion dollars a year. We're giving them four billion dollars worth of are military hardware, which is sold by private defense companies. Correct. So they are heavily, heavily funded by the United States and by other Western countries to be the democracy in the Middle East.
0: And I will say, even Joe Biden, back in the day when he was in the Senate, was very proud of supporting Israel and was very overt in how he said we should just not be ashamed of supporting Israel in the Middle East.
1: Which I wouldn't be if they didn't act as an oppressive occupying force when it comes to the Palestinians and not recognizing any of their human rights and treating them much like the United States treated the Native Americans during the formation of our country. Correct. So what's going on now? So currently... There was a dispute in one of the neighborhoods in East Jerusalem called Sheikh Jarrah that involved claims by Jewish settlers that the homes there that were currently settled by Palestinians, Palestinian refugees. So these are people that historically lived in Jerusalem and were displaced following 1948, kicked out of their homes, Mm -hmm. and given... Residency in the slums of East Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish courts have ruled that if you can prove that any of those homes that they were relocated to were at any point Previous to 1948. So literally you can find documentation, create documentation from the late 1800s, 1700s, whatever. It doesn't matter as long as it's pre-1948. If you can say that that house used to belong to a Jew, they kick that family out. And there's videos that have gone viral of people doing this. And it's it's like literally they do anything to kick out Palestinians because they want the entire area to be jewish if you build an extension on your house and they deem you didn't have the proper permits they will give that extension to a jewish settler like seriously it would be like if you put a deck on the back of your house and you didn't have the proper permits instead of making you tear it down and do it properly you lose your house they would just give that part of your house to someone else And say, well, you lost your backyard now because you didn't have the right permit. That is the reality of what the Palestinians are living in. And these Jewish settlers are also, they know what they're doing. They know what the plan is. They're extremely antagonistic towards the Palestinians. They They have private security 24 hours a day by the Israeli military backing them up. And they want these things to escalate so that the Palestinians will get arrested and their property will be taken away. That's the point of all of this. So these things are happening in Sheikh Jarrah. The Israeli Supreme Court, surprise, surprise, ruled that a number of claims on houses in that neighborhood were valid and were taken away From the Palestinian settlers, or the Palestinian refugees, and given to the Jewish settlers. And this is at the end of Ramadan, which we just passed here. Mm Mm-hmm. So end of Ramadan, it's a period of fasting, you have your big feast at the end of it. They were, the Palestinians were having their big feast, it's like a big, kind of like a block party is the best way I can describe (laughs) it, where they're like, like on the street openly, publicly, you know, they have these long tables set up, everyone's eating, they're celebrating, and in come Jewish settlers to stand by and basically antagonize them trying to provoke violence. Well, they did. They provoked violence. Rocks and shoes were thrown. Plastic chairs that people were sitting at were thrown. And, of course, what's the response? Response is by the Israeli armed forces. To come raid it. They throw flash grenades, tear gas, well, rubber this, bullets, all that sort of thing. Well, and
0: this is where things really kicked off. So, I mean, this is the, I want to say. make sure I say this correct. it's the Aqsa Mosque. Al-Aqsa. Al-Aqsa Mosque, thank you.
1: Um, One of the most holy sites.
0: During a holy time of year for these people. So that's a big deal. And then um, according to... So it was
1: raided by the Israeli security forces. Correct. They used flash grenades. They used rubber bullets. Inside the mosque. This is literally like uh, akin, uh, if any of our listeners are Catholic, this would be akin to a Muslim military force raiding Notre Dame Cathedral or the Basilica during Easter or something. Correct. So, and then
0: according to the New York Times article that I found, um, more than 330 Palestinians were wounded and at least three critically. And then on the um, Israeli side, at least 21 Israeli
1: police officers were wounded as well. So when you have a raid and this is designed, now this is also going in the backdrop of the Israeli government going through a period of uncertainty where they just had their elections and no one has a majority they have a parliamentary system much like in the UK where if you don't have a majority you have to form a coalition with other parties and try to form a government and whoever can get the majority of the different groups on your side and form a government you become the the majority party you become in control and that's how,
0: that's how Netanyahu is staying in power right now.
1: So Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister, who is an extreme right-wing Crazy pro-war, love Donald Trump, wants to keep this conflict with Palestine going because that is good for him. Because he is a very militant... Very, you know, Zionist. Israel needs to expand and control all of the disputed areas. They need to take over Gaza. They need to take over East Jerusalem. That's his agenda. Conflict is good for him. And it's already paid dividends. They the, looked like the opposition party was going to form a coalition. Ever since this fighting broke out, that has been disrupted. So, this attack on the Al Aqsa Mosque provoked another right-wing extremist group, Hamas, which they are not in East Jerusalem. No. They are on the Gaza Strip. Correct. And they are recognized as as a terrorist organization. Because they are. They are an extremist, right-wing, pro-violence, pro-death to Israel. Islamist group. Exactly. Yeah. They, as a response to the attack on the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the violence in Sheikh Jarrah, launched thousands of rockets just indiscriminately into israel now israel does have the missile defense system you've probably heard of iron dome again paid for by the united states which is a good thing i'm glad that we are helping protect them from attacks and i think we should do the same to
0: palestine well i think one thing we should make clear as well too because this is a usual um talking point that you'll hear is well why are you defending hamas again we want to be very clear like Hamas is a straight-up terrorist organization. They're awful. They're absolutely terrible. However, they kind of self-appointed themselves as the defenders of Palestine.
1: And this violence helps give them the mandate. They're the ones that are actually standing up against the violent aggressor Israel. Right. That's the It gives them this cloak of like rebellion, basically. So all this fighting does is solidify the two extremist groups on each side. So this exchange, and and so the rocket attacks into Israel prompted Israel to scramble their extremely technologically advanced military and destroy residential towers, city blocks, and kill many civilians as well as military targets in Gaza. And they're justification for that is well they're hiding behind the civilians well uh, uh, yeah the gaza is not that large i don't think when you are the extremely it's it's literally again i'll use the analogy of uh, the united states and native americans it's like native american raids on u.s settlers settlers and, and yes killing civilians and then the military comes and burns a native american village say well that's that's where these raiders came from so sorry we had to kill you know hundreds of civilians on their side but they they killed civilians on our side well that's not a justification
0: well and keep in mind that there's also this entire time there's sparked protests all throughout israel as well
1: and there, it, it, it creates fighting. There's a lot of mixed cities where traditionally Arabs and Jews have managed to live peacefully. All this does is spark violence there as well Correct. And, and get these animosity and... Attacks on Jews, where you have cities that are majority Arab. Attacks on Arabs, where you have areas that are majority Jews. Arab businesses in Jerusalem are being destroyed. A lot of allusions to the crystal knocked uh, because of the irony involved with it, it coming from the Jews doing it this time uh, as they're smashing windows of businesses. It's, it's a very unfortunate situation, and it, it falls on Israel they're the ones that have, like we said, all of the power in this situation. They're the ones that could stop this. They need to stop oppressing and settling in areas that, it's an international war crime. That's the bottom line. They are moving their settlers into these Palestinian areas, and they do it so that it makes it harder to establish that that two-state solution that everyone wants. Correct. If they can get enough jewish neighborhoods sprinkled all around east jerusalem it's going to make it impossible to ever create a palestinian state in that area which is what they want and that's why they're doing these things they don't care it's not just it's not right it's not something that anyone supports it's not not anything that we should support and no one should feel like they're somehow being anti-semitic By speaking out against it, because that that doesn't have anything to do with support of the Jewish people or the Jewish state.
0: Well, and that's the other thing, too, is that also if you support Palestine, that does not mean that, or if you're critical of Israel, that does not mean that you automatically hate everyone within Israel, right? Or
1: that... There are a lot of... Israelis and Jews that speak out against this because they They're know all, it's yes wrong. a lot it is again we're it's the extremists that support this it's much like not everyone here when Donald Trump going to say the same thing was pushing for seemingly a conflict against Iran. That wasn't every American that supported that. That was Trump. Right. And the conservatives.
0: So as of right now, according to Palestinian medical officials, at least 132 people have been killed in Gaza since Monday, including 32 children and 21 women, and 950 others have been wounded. Among the eight dead in Israel were a
1: soldier patrolling the Gaza border and six civilians, including two children,
0: according to Israeli
1: authorities. Yeah, the Iron Dome is not 100% effective some rockets do get through uh, out of the thousands and thousands that are launched some do manage to kill civilians and it's unfortunate and it's again it's just as bad as what the israelis are doing and that should not be the response and that's again why you would condemn the actions of hamas because that is not the actions of a group that's working towards peace with with israel that, that those are the actions of a terrorist organization that just don't care who pays for their retaliation they just want Jewish blood. And that's just as wrong as the Jewish settlers that don't care about the rights of the Palestinians and just want them gone. Yeah. I think, again, what the United States should do is suspend all funding of israel until they stop committing war crime and until they start recognizing the rights of the palestinians they say that the palestinians are just non-jewish citizens of israel which is of course not true but if they truly believe that then they should treat them with the same respect as any other jewish citizen Correct In Israel, they do not do it all. And until they start doing that, they should not receive any of my tax money. Couldn't agree more. Let's move on. In a little bit more of a less impactful story.
0: We're going to talk about Donald Trump. And a
1: horse. So earlier this month. Did he the, find a horse head in his bed? Please <laughs> tell me he found a horse head in his bed. Uh, unfortunately, no. <sighs> earlier this month, the Kentucky Derby was won by Medina Spirit, who later tested positive for PDs. It was roided? It's all roided up. Oh uh, my gosh. Anti inflammatories, I believe. Oh my goodness. Donald Trump posted on his Blog. Uh, new social media <laughs> website. <laughs> so now, even our Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, is a junkie. This is emblematic of what is happening to our country. <laughs> The whole world is laughing at us as we go to hell on our borders capitalized. <laughs> our fake presidential election capitalized and everywhere else. What? <laughs> like I like to see the horse like tying off his <laughs> arm with a needle. a needle. Yep.
0: Can't can't or can't actually like push down. The- <laughs> To get the um, Peds because he doesn't doesn't have fingers he just has hooves so he's just trying to figure out how to do that
1: I just picture BoJack Horseman this <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is emblematic of what is happening to our country again I want to make it very clear he capitalized country so when we talked about like his capital he thinks country is a proper noun so let's make that very clear <laughs> but what is that even supposed to like yeah this was the line that would just went too far <laughs> for him you know yeah. like.
1: And it's not the first time that's happened. I think it's the second time a Kentucky Derby winner has failed a drug test.
0: But how how is this emblematic of our country? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it.
1: Well, if you want some more uh, ridiculous takes from this. I'm ready. The horse's trainer... Bob Baffert, while talking to Dan Patrick, and not the lieutenant governor from Texas, but the sportscaster, on Monday lashed out at the Churchill Downs for announcing his suspension before a more lengthy investigation could be done. And that is basically, they always take two samples so it was before the second sample was tested to confirm they suspended everything. Yeah, they the Churchill Downs is the second race in the Triple Crown. Okay. So uh, his quote was, I think it was just a knee-jerk cancel culture kind of reaction what they violated my due process
0: how is it <laughs> what <laughs>
1: this cancel culture Cancel culture because my horse got suspended for P-D's? testing positive
0: what is happening <laughs> Well, okay, this is what happens when you don't have a coherent worldview. This is what happens when you can just throw words around that don't mean anything and that don't have any actual definitions to what they actually like stand for. you can say whatever the
1: hell it wants because nothing matters. You just have the buzzwords that you have to throw out there. What's the popular one among conservatives? Cancel culture? That's what it is. Cancel. It's Black Lives Matter. They're the ones that did it. I'm surprised Trump didn't
0: accuse Black Lives Matter of this. But for some weird reason, we have Trump saying that this is like the laughing stock, or like this is making us the laughing stock of the entire world. Why? Why?
1: You know, the American sport of horse racing.
0: Yeah, because it's so freaking popular. <laughs>
1: it's the working class
0: sport. Oh my God. So
1: you wanted feel good, lighthearted stories. Here you go.
0: I have a doping horse and an insane former president talking about the doping horse.
1: So let's move on to something a little bit more heavy. Great. The continued attacks from the GOP on voting rights across the country. Arizona was the latest state to pass a restrictive voting law in the wake of the 2020 election. Last week, Governor Doug Ducey also signed a bill limiting when voters can fix a missing signature on a ballot. So that's two different (laughs) voting laws in Arizona restricting voting.
0: Did they find the bamboo yet? I want to know if they found the bamboo. (laughs)
1: Also, Florida, and as we talked about previously, Georgia, recently enacted new sets of election rules, and Texas lawmakers advanced their own package in one chamber of their legislature.
0: And what's even crazier is that in Florida, Governor DeSantis made it a Fox News exclusive. Racist
1: Governor DeSantis.
0: Right. So not only is he saying, hey, by the way, this isn't like a general bill, this is strictly a screw everyone else who's not a crazy Republican bill
1: and that was the signing of that bill was broadcast exclusively on Fox News former President Trump's stolen election lie has inspired hundreds of restricted voting bills in at least four 47 states, according to the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law.
0: I think we're at over 250 right
1: now, right? Bills, a nonpartisan group that is tracking the election legislation. Many of the bills target mail-in voting, which was championed by Democrats as a safe way to vote in the pandemic, while Trump falsely claimed it was rife with fraud, while he also votes by mail. And keep in mind, these are places
0: that Republicans also, I mean, not in every of these states, but Republicans can also win. So, like, in Florida, Republicans won. Donald Trump won. And they were projected to lose, and they won, and they still think that there was fraud. That's so freaking crazy these people Well, they say
1: are. there wasn't fraud, and to strengthen our election laws, we need to make sure that it's as hard as possible for anyone to vote. Oh, my God. That's That's what most of these bills are, tightening early voting, making it harder to vote by mail, making it harder to vote in person. Again, if you're well off, you live in the suburbs, it's pretty easy to vote when i go to vote even if it's in person which i haven't done since the pandemic maybe 15 minutes yeah Maybe. maybe 15 minutes i think During the 2016 presidential election, I think I talked about previously, it was probably closer to 40, 45 minutes, which is about the longest I think I've ever stood in line. Whereas if you live in extremely densely populated urban areas, it can take six hours to vote. Sometimes more than that. And that's very difficult. So to get around that, early voting, drop boxes, voting by mail, make it... A little bit easier to get around those crowds. Well, in a lot
0: of these crowds. states... They're proposing like $10,000 fines for people who are leaving unattended uh, mail-in drop boxes for people, which means that you can only actually drop in your mail-in ballot during work-in office hours, where people can't do that because they're working.
1: And again, if you're more well off, you can take the time off of work because generally you're the boss or you are in a situation where that's much more easily accepted. Try doing that when you work at Amazon in the warehouse. You have to pee in a bottle they're not going to let you take an hour off to go vote and that's that's what the republicans want they want to make it so that people in those densely populated urban areas don't vote don't vote and that's why they lost this last presidential election we talked about it the black voters in cities like detroit milwaukee atlanta they turned out phoenix that's the reason why joe biden won yeah so they're trying to make it so that in those very same cities democrats don't win
0: well and i said it before and i'll say again when a party loses a national election like the presidency it is common practice to do an autopsy of the party and to change your party to so you can try and have the best chance of winning the next time that's usually what ends up happening let it be known that after 2020 after the Republican Party lost to Joe Biden and the Democrats with record voter turnout, they did not do an autopsy. They did not reconsider anything. They had no self-awareness for any of this. Instead, their first reaction was to make people less likely to vote. And that's all they've been doing since. It's infuriating, man. That was really a
1: productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown.
0: When asked what is the biggest cause for divide in the United States, many Americans usually think of party affiliation, race, or education. However, the current best predictor of partisanship right now in the United States is actually geography. A 2020 article found that geography is related to substantial differences in partisanship, even after accounting for individual traits like age, race, gender, education, and religion. According to the 2021 Cook Political Report, Partisan Voter Index, rural areas have been trending even further to the right with the last election, while urban areas have been trending even further left. Especially in a state like Wisconsin, this divide has caused a lot of tension. So what's going on here and what can we do about? It. Well, that's exactly what our guest is here to talk about. Our special guest is a progressive activist, former candidate for Wisconsin State Assembly, and is the host of the Wisp Mama Bear podcast, a political podcast for rural and suburban Wisconsinites. Please welcome to the show, Sarah Yacoub. Sarah, how are you doing?
2: I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, this is fantastic. I've Thanks been, for joining us. I've been wanting to talk about this topic for a long time. Well, thank and you so
2: I'm, much. I, I'm happy to be here. And, you know, as an LA transplant, It's interesting to experience Northwestern rural suburban Wisconsin coming from a Los Angeles Pasadena perspective where I I feel like I have sort of the luxury or the, the curse, if you will, of really sort of seeing both sides and the frustration that comes with why can't we just connect? Because we tend to talk through each other, which we can get into, but it's it's a fascinating perspective.
0: Awesome. Well, let's start with your story and how you got involved with politics and why you're so passionate about progressive causes right now.
2: Yeah. Um, so I was a deputy district attorney out in Los Angeles. I went to law school with the sole goal of becoming a prosecutor, and that was it. That was my career goal. After six years, I met my husband. His family is from Wisconsin, so we decided to raise our family and our kids out in Wisconsin and, you know, the rest is history. In terms of how I became political, you know, it's funny, I interned as a congressional intern for Adam Schiff on the Hill back in college, never thought anything of it, wasn't remotely political in Los Angeles. And when I came here, you know, you can reach out and touch the political process. I mean, your state senator is a phone call away. You know your representative, you know your congressman or woman. uh, And it's still in many ways a blank slate. So you take some place like Los Angeles or Pasadena, where the inertia of the system for better or for worse is essentially immovable. Uh, But here in Western Wisconsin, there's a lot that hasn't been legislated. There's a lot that hasn't been drawn up. And so, you know, I I like to paint uh, for my sanity. And so it's really like having a blank canvas to sort of uh, create some really good public policy. And then add to that, we've got a Republican Party that is so off the rails in terms of their dishonesty, their selfishness, their antisocial policymaking, that it just sort of felt like a, a responsibility to use my experience to try to do something productive, not only for me, my family, my children, but for all children. Um, And I'll finish off by saying, I've always had a really strong sense of justice and uh, protecting the most vulnerable and the system's role in protecting, protecting the most vulnerable. And so that's sort of carved out a niche uh, locally in our justice system uh, where I go to bat for survivors of trauma, uh, primarily children, survivors of domestic abuse, sexual assault. And it's given me sort of a front row seat to a lot of the barriers to wellness that we, hear, that we have here in Northwestern Wisconsin.
0: So my first question I really have to ask you about is coming from California, the general idea when it comes to culture is the idea of pacing for like the Midwest. Like usually people make fun of the Midwestern people for how slow they are as a culture. Did you get a lot of that when you first came here or was there a little bit of culture shock?
2: There was definitely a lot of culture shock, but I loved the change in pace. So when I was in LA, I had my kiddos dropped off at daycare at seven. I drove the hour to work because, you know, that's what it takes to drive 20 miles in LA. Um, yeah. Oh, it was <clears> gross. <throat> and I'd get there, you know, 8, 830, work till 430, pick my kids up at 530, feed them, bathe them and put them to bed bed and that was our life. And so when I moved to Wisconsin, I stopped waking up with an alarm clock, which for me was heavenly. Uh, And I really feel like I could take a step back, really uh, raise my children with the time and the values that I want for them uh, and still plug in to my community in a way that feels like I'm being productive at best.
0: Cool. So one thing I really wanted to address right away was this notion that rural voters are just too stupid or uneducated to vote supposedly correctly. We hear a lot of talk about rural voters voting against their own interests. And you'll hear a lot of this from like frustrated liberals, especially from urban areas. So I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on this and why rural voters vote the way they do.
2: So that notion pains me on so many levels. So thank you for you know launching us into this, this topic. You know, I'll, I want to get into a couple things. Number one, I have a friend who's a farmer. And one of the things she shared with me is, you know, look, I'm democratic leaning, but I don't need PETA showing up on my farm and taking video out of context and demonizing me. And the example she gave, is if one of her heifers, if one of her cows is laying down and won't get up, that cow will die. And so she will do everything in her power. Her husband will do everything in his power. They will do everything in their power to humanely get that cow on its feet. But they're their option, if that cow is not cooperating, is either to let it sit there and die or to get more drastic in its, in their means. And so what will happen is you'll get activists who are well-intentioned but don't really understand the context. You know, showing up, filming, putting things on YouTube that completely demonize them and alienate the heck out of people who actually understand the context of what's going on. So that's part of it. The other part of it is these people aren't stupid. So you take someone like Tom Tiffany, Shannon Zimmerman, Rob Stashold. There's a formula uh, that's actually very similar to how domestic abusers operate. But they come to town and they spin their stories, they spin their narratives, and it's very difficult to ascertain who's good and who's bad from their story if you don't know better. And you know, on top of that, these politicians capitalize on sort of the psychology of politics, which is you meet somebody, you have a positive impression, you don't want to believe that the person that you like, that you want to have a beer with is lying to your face. That has major implications for your judge of character in your entire circle and your potentially obstruct your entire world. Um, in terms of if you're wrong about this politician, who else are you wrong? Are you wrong about? And they take that to the bank. And so Tom Tiffany will come to town, and he will talk about politicians uh, from California and from you know all different blue states and get people all riled up. He'll spin his lies, and you know it sounds convincing. And so anyone who's getting sort of a steady supply of Kool Aid, you know, at some level is going to. Take it in, you know, rural rural broadband. Excuse me, is a is a huge barrier to communication. So you get a city where different cultures come together, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds come together, and people get a chance to see that wow, the sky's not falling. We all actually make each other stronger. This is better. Our food gets better. Our economy gets stronger. This is really cool. And in rural communities, we don't have that. So there's a lot of fear mongering of the unknown, and there's a lack of access to information in the way that urban areas have. So the narratives of the Republican Party fall flat on their face in places like Pasadena, Austin, Texas, you know, places that are are really robust and have a, a healthy flow of information, a healthy media, a healthy defense bar, a healthy district attorney's office, a healthy justice system, where all these different players sort of serve their role to maintain the integrity of the process of society. We don't have that here. Uh, So things that should shake out don't. And a lot of the narratives, a lot of Trump's narratives really stick here uh, in a way that they don't elsewhere. Uh, We see that with the Republican Party talking about splitting up into two. And what's interesting is there isn't that pressure here. Uh, people are very much content with sort of Trump's Republican Party, or at least that's what they publicly convey. Uh, but I imagine elsewhere where the information is more readily accessible, they're really feeling the heat of, you know, we cannot go on as a party being this dishonest, this dysfunctional and, you know, this anti-American.
1: I definitely feel the Republican Party has been better at capturing that populist message. Uh, and Trump's certainly a large part of that and convincing people that the real problem, the reason why. They are struggling financially is because big government is getting in their way. And only the Republican Party stands between them and having to fund all of the Democratic socialist programs. And everybody from the big cities are going to suck up all of your tax money in the rural areas. And that's the real problem. And I feel like that message connects uh, with a lot of people. And that's something that I think the Democratic Party has to have an answer for. And really outside of the much more progressive candidates that we've seen lately, I don't think the mainstream Democratic Party really has fought against that message.
2: I agree. You know, what's interesting and what's frustrating is the logical inconsistency of the Trump sort of quote unquote populist message. So on the one hand, they're saying America first, which, you know, you have to strip away the KKK roots of that. You know, you have Trump supporters saying, why are people calling me racist? Well, gee, your slogan is straight out of the KKK playbook <laughs> and their coins. So that was, you know. that
1: was literally it, the topic of our last yep. episode. <laughs> when, when yeah. Chosen in the GOP.
2: Yes. So, I mean, you know, but you get people who are really, you know, saddened by the fact that they are believed to be racist based upon their America first slogans. And okay, fine. You don't know history. Well, let, we'll put that aside for now. But what's interesting and what's frustrating, and I think one of the challenges for Democrats messaging this effectively and marketing that message effectively. Is the logical conundrum. So the idea of America First is we use our tax dollars on we the people. We stop sending our money overseas. We stop sending our money to you know pay corporate welfare. We spend it investing in our middle class, in our people, and that's sort of the heart of it. The irony is you know Trump was kind of the racist version of Bernie. If you listen to his economic messages uh, when he would do his rallies, he sounded very similar to Bernie. And so he, there's a lot he would of overlap. Paint himself as
0: the outsider. Basically.
2: Exactly. Right. And somebody who's not a neoliberal, who's not, you know, going to bat for the 1%, which, you know, anyone who's honest and paying attention knows that's exactly who he is. And that's exactly what he did. But at any rate, um, going back to this idea of, you know, okay, we have a majority of Wisconsinites and rural members of the community who want our tax dollars invested in we the people at the same time, they've had beaten into them the idea that anything from the government is welfare and a negative reflection on them. So just one example, we've got this tremendous food program that helps farmers, that helps get healthy produce to rural communities throughout Wisconsin and actually was started under former President Trump. And it's been quite a challenge getting communities on board with handing out this food because of the stigma of, oh, no, we can't accept anything from the government. And it's not until somebody says, well, no, actually, this is helping the farmers. This is your tax dollars. This is a program from Donald Trump. And if you don't take this food, it's going to go to waste. Okay, fine, then we'll take it. And so the other irony here is we have Republican politicians in Wisconsin that are standing in the way of our tax dollars coming back. So you know, if we're looking at this from an America first standpoint, Republican politicians in Wisconsin are making Wisconsin last. So we have an opportunity to get all these federal dollars, uh, and that's been the case for the last ten years, going back to twenty eleven under Obama. But and, they refuse to
0: expand healthcare.
2: Yes, and, and rural broadband. We yep. turned away twenty three million in twenty eleven. We've turned away billions, literally billions of dollars, in our refusal to expand healthcare because they've conditioned people to believe that there's something wrong with them if they accept it. And the the sick part of this is, you know, I ran for assembly against a candidate running for his third term when we debated, the uh, moderator asked, you know, why go for your third term? And he didn't say because that's when my benefits vest. That's when I get health care for me and my family for life. That's when I get all these cool tricks from the government. He said, you know, I want to do all these things. He's never done them before. He's not done them since. But that's the game. You get elected for three terms. You have health care for you and your family for life, among other retirement benefits. And you get to go do whatever the heck you want to do. Um, And this idea that government health care is okay for politicians and their families, but not for the American public is just a bold faced lie. Uh, but it's one that sells. That you know, if government's involved in healthcare, you know something must be wrong. Except all the the politicians peddling that message very much enjoy their government provided healthcare. Uh, so I, I think one of the problems for the Democrats is. Figuring out how to cut through the logical inconsistency because we can't just come out and say this is stupid because that implicitly tells people you're stupid for you know not seeing this and not getting there faster. Uh, and so it's really challenging because it, it literally makes no sense uh, what they're messaging. Uh, which makes it that much more frustrating that it's effective.
0: And I think you had something that's really important here when you're talking about the psychology of the rural voters or the rural consciousness, which is a lot about social groups, right? Where it's not necessarily about logical consistency. It's more about, is my group that I'm a part of being represented well? And like Jason said, they feel like big government doesn't represent rural America well. So do you hear a lot of general resentment from rural communities and rural voters towards just either things like elites or you can talk about like West coast politics. I know we hear that a lot in Wisconsin or just in general, like resentment towards Madison or Milwaukee or anything like that.
2: I I think the general resentment, you know, poor white people and communities of color, certainly there's a lot that differentiates them, you know, when dealing with systematic racism and all sorts of issues that make challenges for communities of color that much more heinous and difficult. And so by no means do I mean to, uh, E- equal the two, but they do have a lot of similarities in their struggles economically. And, you know, so what I do get the sense of is that your lower socioeconomic white families in rural communities very much feel ignored. So I'll never forget Tim Kaine gets on the stage as Hillary Clinton's VP uh, during the DNC and starts speaking Spanish. And, you know, to a bunch of, you know, rural Americans, they don't understand what he's saying. He's not going to bat for them. And it can- communicated a message of I care more about people immigrating into our country and those communities than my family or you know their family, not me personally, but their family and their struggles to get food on the table and to keep a roof over their head. And so I think you, you nail the issue on the head. It's who represents me? And the Republicans have done a very good job, actually fun story, and I say fun facetiously because it's again really sick. Um, the Republicans have different cars. And they know that if they go out to the farm, they bring their farm car. And if they go out to a fundraiser, they bring their fancy car. And they are really good at playing to people's expectations, the psychology, I'm one of you, and taking that all the way to the bank. Um, and you know, no shame in manipulating the image of it, no shame in manipulating people's perception of who they are and what they stand for. Uh, I think one of the saddest things about Donald Trump Is how he talked about his supporters when they weren't looking. I mean, he's disgusted by them. He thinks they're low class. He doesn't like people who are overweight. He doesn't like people who don't have money. And so to have people, you know, be so passionate and loyal and be willing to put so much on the line for him when he is so ugly to them behind the scenes, you know, even though I'm not one of those people, it hurts me on a personal level of like, ugh, he's, it's just, ugly. And
0: I think just with how logical consistency would work, I mean, to me, that's really tough too, because there's so many factors that go into it. And again, I know it's so easy just to call someone dumb for not being logically consistent, but when it comes to just general things like how I want to vote for a particular person, like you said, I remember like even when Tom Tiffany was actually campaigning against Trisha Zunker, he would always talk about, well, I'm a small business owner from this area, right? And he would always say like, I'm from your community, I'm from your community here, there, here and there. And that really does speak to people. So I have an actual study from 2012 from Dr. Kathleen Crane here from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, who actually talked about the rural versus urban divide and rural consciousness in Wisconsin, where she surveyed a bunch of rural residents and asked them about their opinions on some things. So I'm kind of curious about what your thoughts are on some of these quotes from the interviews. So here's a quote from one of the interviews that this Crane talked about. I think that we are impressed that you come up here to visit with us, but because most of us, particularly in the state of Wisconsin, where politicians, none of the national ones, come Come to see us, you know, we only have 10 electoral votes, and I mean none of the politicians come to see us up here at all. And I think that's a real big issue here. When you talk about people who are faced with poverty, stricken with lack of resources. I mean, like I said, broadband's a big issue in rural America that a lot of urban um, Americans don't really consider, and then they constantly have to hear about systemic racism all day long, they may feel a little peeved about it.
2: What are your thoughts about this? Yeah, no, I, again, I I think that researcher nails the issue on the head. You know, I was in Eau Claire recently and I saw the Boys and Girls Club and the subheading was something about, you know, the Western Wisconsin chapter. And I thought, oh, that's funny. (laughs) It's as if, you know, Wisconsin ends at Eau Claire and Democrats have essentially forgotten, if you will. Uh, everything west of Eau Claire to their detriment and north, quite frankly. And the part that's so frustrating is, you know, Republicans capitalize on it. They bring their people here and rally the troops uh, and tell people that they matter and that they're important. And we're 30 minutes from MSP. We are right si- right outside of St. Paul, Woodbury. Uh, most of us go over there to, you know, eat door shopping because uh, there's no clothing tax. Um, And so this idea that we are inaccessible is just silly. So for those of us who live here, it's clear as day uh, that it would be very easy for anyone flying into Minnesota to swing by and have an event, uh, but they don't. And so I do think that plays quite a role. Um, You know, Sheila Harsdorf, who was the state senator before Patty Shachner, didn't tell us anything. She kept us in the dark, but she waved to us in parades and she knocked on our doors. Uh, She did a lot of doors and that carried the day for her. So she voted for the corporations that poison children with lead paint. She voted for Act 10 that decimated our schools and our unions and, you know, our middle class and labor. Uh, And she did all sorts of really ugly things. But unless you're a policy wonk, unless you're a a policy nerd, you were just living your life and not really paying close attention. And so and then, you know, the other conundrum here is that Democrats uh, sort of become the wet blanket of the party, or at least I can certainly relate to that, when you are the one bringing the here's what's actually going on. Um, to the table. And so the Republicans spin sort of their propaganda uh, about what they're doing. And the person who gets to say, that's not honest, here's what's actually happening. And what's actually happening is really bad. Here's why. That's not something people want to hear. That's not something that feels good to hear. And it would be so much easier if the politician that they voted for was just an honest, decent person. Uh, It's very socially inconvenient for them to actually be an Adam Henry of sorts. And um, and so that's, again, one of the dynamics that I see play out here in our community. So
0: what do we do about this? When we can't correct the misinformation, we can't just outspend and outbeat these Republicans in these areas because they just have this appeal to them, to these voters. What should we do?
2: We can do a couple things. So um, we uh, there's some interesting game theory applications here. We keep playing nice um, with people who are not acting in good faith. So um, a little bit personal about me, I am a domestic abuse survivor from my first marriage. And my opponent lied about me, the Republican Party of Wisconsin lied about my experiences in a way that was so shameless that it would be disqualifying of just about any other political atmosphere uh, in this country, but it, it worked. We have a very high tolerance for beating up on women and we have a very high tolerance uh, for Republican narratives. So it carried the day here. Um, But I think the Republican Party can get stronger, can get a backbone by standing up to bullies and calling the lie the lie and saying, really, you know, now we're going to lie about survivors of domestic abuse who know what it means to protect themselves and their children. You know, is this really the values of your party? And hey, voters, does this reflect your values? Do you really feel this way about self-defense and a mother protecting her infant? which was the case in my situation. And, you know, I I, th- I think the party being stronger would really help candidates. You know, candidates have to wear the white hat and make sure they're able to connect with everyone who they seek to represent uh, so that, you know, they can't alienate people or they shouldn't be alienating people because they're looking to represent everyone. Uh, so they can't really go... To battle over these narratives in a way that maybe they'd like to, or at least I wanted to. Um, The other thing that we can do is start asking really good questions and getting the media. To lean in and ask good questions. So Shannon Zimmerman, for example, will not give public comment unless pressed by the media. And that's with an asterisk, unless pressed by the media that he respects and fears and thinks might precipitate something. So what he does is tells everyone a little bit different story depending on who they are and what they want to hear. And there's no public statement to compare notes to. And he banks on the fact that nobody compares notes. So the media asking better questions and then digging beneath the surface. So, you know, he lives at a district. He's been committing mass scale voter and election fraud to do what he's been doing for the last five years. And when the media does talk to him, it's, you know, a question for comment. He spins his narrative and then, okay, thank you. There's not really sort of the press for more. Um, I know Daniel Bice pushed him for a little bit more and got hung up on because, you know, he got flustered. But the public doesn't get to see that. Um, The other thing we can do in terms of asking good questions is take the vote today in Congress. Uh, There was a bill for protecting job protections for pregnant women. Tom Tiffany voted no. It was a bipartisan bill, uh, House Resolution 1065, I believe and bipartisan support got it passed but Tom Tiffany said no so if you're telling voters you are pro life and you want people to choose life why are you voting against protections for pregnant women because what happens is you have a situation where the financially responsible thing to do too often is to terminate the pregnancy and if you're somebody who in your heart of hearts wants people to choose life and values life and you know wants to reduce abortions you know talking the talk is one thing well, walking the walk is another. And I think appealing to people where they are at their values of hey does Tom Tiffany really reflect your values or hey Shannon Zimmerman you're blocking 1.6 billion dollars to reduce the cost of healthcare increase access to healthcare you know how many women and families would then have the freedom to safely bring a baby into this world with that access to healthcare and you're turning that money away so don't tell me how much you value life when you are not allowing that healthcare to come through for something like ninety thousand Wisconsinites
1: certainly. T- in with the issue that they're also against sexual education in school and uh, access to birth control, but yet they also are against any means of access to care for women all along the stages of life and when it deals with reproduction. Right. Um, and that's And That goes hand in hand. If you want to limit the number of abortions that, that are carried out, the best way to do it is shown over and over again is education and access to birth control
2: and Absolutely. Still
1: against that as well.
2: Well, and that, so with that, you know, my, I'm very centered in my faith. My family and my in-laws are even more centered in their faith. And the idea there is if you get into birth control and education, you'll be inviting more sex. Um, and more teenage sex. And of course, the data very clearly tells us no, actually, promiscuity among teenagers goes down the more you educate. Um, And so that's not actually the case, but there's still sort of this perception and stigma. Um, But you know, one of the challenges of the Democratic Party is we don't know how to label and market the label of the Republican Party. So people call them the pro birth party thinking that's a burn. And that's really overly generous. They're not the pro birth party, they don't support health care for pregnant mom or baby in utero or the newborn baby. They're the, you have a baby on the side of a building and we don't care if you and or the baby die in the process party. And that's not a, you know, a good bumper sticker, but somebody who's a better wordsmith than I am ought to be able to distill that down to better capture sort of the heart of they don't give a darn. They just want every baby to forced to be born come hell or high water. And that's the reality of it. And when we start talking about the reality of it, then they're the extreme, the extremity or the extremity of their position becomes very clear. Because having a baby is, you know, dangerous. It does threaten the life of the woman. Um, it is a big decision. And then sort of the humanity... Picks up, you know, this is the party that wants people to be financially responsible, and so you know, going back to this idea of okay, when is it financially responsible to terminate a pregnancy when all things are considered? Uh, and so, going back to this logical inconsistency, I think if Democrats can sort of meet voters where they are in their values, you know, the the Republican voter who's a pro life single issue voter says abortion is murder, and they're never going to come off of that. So, okay, fine, we'll put that issue aside. Now let's talk reducing abortions. Are you with me there? And then sort of start comparing, contrasting words versus actions and, and seeing if you can't find middle ground there. And I found that to be very effective. People who sort of understand I, I'm someone who values life, but I also value a woman's rights to bodily autonomy. It's its a line that I walk um, that makes sense to me. It doesn't always make sense to others, particularly critics, but I've found that these conversations are really fruitful and you find a meeting of the minds and you find that there's more that unites you than divides you. And that's the kind of conversation that I think moves us forward and starts to heal that rural urban divide.
0: Well, and I'm glad you brought up values too, because I feel like from everything that I've read and actually in that same article from Dr. Crane, she talked a lot about hard work and individualism where in rural areas, people value the idea of having a hard day's work, getting, your stuff done, making your keep, not relying on anyone else, and then kind of picking yourself up. Do you see a lot of that up where you are or, and how do you kind of combat that very I don't want to say selfish mindset, but we'll say like surface level individualist mindset. Uh,
2: So I'll say it for you. Uh, It strikes me as incredibly selfish. Um, But yes, I do see a lot of that. Um, I actually had a young woman reach out to me and saying I was being too mean to Jeff Bezos when I posted something on Instagram about his obnoxious amount of chandeliers in his, you know, obnoxious (laughs) home in New York City. Um, and how, you know, if you work hard, you deserve to have a nice life. And that's sort of the sentiment. And any sort of criticism of the exploitation of labor, which is what we have, um, gets twisted into this interpretation of, oh, you're punishing hard work. Oh, you're punishing success. You know, you're jealous. And like, no, I'm, I'm doing just fine. And no, that's not what this is about. But that's not a mistake. That's not a coincidence. I mean, we've had Koch Brother money, Americans for Prosperity money funneled into these communities beating people over the head with these narratives um, to condition them to think like this. But I think, you know, what's interesting is we identify as a Christian community uh, for the most part. I mean, obviously there are people of varying degrees of faith and some who are atheists and what have you, but by and large, this is a community that identifies or self-identifies as Christian. And a lot of Jesus's teachings are very community or communally oriented In a way that's very much inconsistent with Republican narratives. Uh, So, the the logical inconsistency is baffling and maddening and frustrating. But I think if we can get back to these values of no, we care about one another. um, I mean, even just with wearing a mask, it does more to protect the people around you than the person wearing the mask. Uh, And so, wearing a mask is very much the Christian thing to do, but for the Republican Party, leading them to think otherwise. But yeah, I mean, this brand of sort of selfish me first, don't tread on me, no one tells me what to do, sort of opulent teenager selfishness. It's exhausting as someone who's living amongst it, but it's also very much not in line with at least Christianity as I understand it.
1: As atheists, we are very versed in the Bible and uh, (laughs) certainly well aware that Jesus lived in a hippie commune and was (laughs) very much against the rich and like the the saying, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Very uh, true. Something that uh, Republicans could take to heart.
0: What, what I find also interesting, though, is that in lots and especially now, granted, I only know Christian churches and Christian communities because that's what we grew up in. And, and let's let's be real here. Like for Wisconsin, we have like predominantly Catholic and other Christian denominations, especially in rural Wisconsin, like you have Catholic or Catholicism all over the place. So, which actually funny fact is that how Catholicism actually mutates around to fit the community that it rounds in. But basically you see a lot of these same teachings that you're talking about, Sarah, that are kind of being ignored in Christian communities in general, not just in rural communities, but we'll say like all over the country, regardless of what community you're in. And it teaches a lot of individualism and the idea that it's all about you and it's your fault at the end of the day, if you screw up whatever it happens to be. But like you said, that kind of goes against those same religious teachings. So how does that influence their voting behavior at the same time? And like, what does their religion do to like influence what they actually believe when it comes to politics?
2: Yeah. And actually you, you touch on a very interesting dynamic and conundrum, which is that the, The leaders within the church that are shameless enough to tell people how to vote and how to think politically um, are the ones telling them to vote Republican. The spiritual leaders within the faith community that have the humility to recognize those boundaries and to not do that tend to be your left-leaning or central-leaning individuals. So what you have is one side preaching, hey, you know, go protest this uh, abortion clinic where you have the more moderate leaders taking a quieter approach. Uh, So of course you get sort of a disproportionate response uh, from the base. But I remember I was down in Iowa. My family lives in Hull, which my aunt says is one letter away from hell. Um, (laughs) But I remember being at a, a church in Orange City and the, the pastor was giving a sermon and very knowledgeable individual, quite the Renaissance man. And I'm sort of nodding. It was very interesting. And then he swings into, so you should go protest an abortion clinic. I'm like, what? No, like shaming women who are no yelling. No. (laughs) Where where is that in the scripture? And I, I I feel like it it comes down to leadership, uh, leadership in politics, leadership in the faith community. And we need stronger leadership from the people with integrity because the people without integrity. Are very loud, and there isn't really that amplified voice from those with integrity. Uh, And I think that's what we have lacking. And it's difficult because, you know, the speak softly, carry the big stick philosophy uh, among quite a few faith leaders who I admire personally um, and spiritually, that they're, they're not out there being bombastic and um, preaching to the masses. But I would like to hope that they are more effective in the long term. But I I do think we need to circle back to the role of leadership and the value we place on good leadership and qualities like honesty and integrity. Um, I'll finish up by saying, you know, one of the the scary parts about Donald Trump, uh, as a parent and as a step parent, is raising kids to believe that what you do when you think no one is looking matters, and. Your integrity at the end of the day matters. Uh, what Donald Trump taught young people is that sure, lie, cheat, steal your way to the top, and you can become president. And there are enough adults who live their life that way that it's understandably very confusing for young people right now, particularly if you have a parent who ascribes to that kind of thinking um, to in how you navigate your own path. And so, you know, I see young people think, well, you know, the honest people are just suckers. The cheaters are the ones who get ahead. And I'm going, oh gosh, no, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not right at all. But I feel like that's sort of the internal battle that we're having now. And so I'd really like to see sort of our faith community leaders, our political leaders, our community leaders in general, youth leaders really step up and sort of raise that bar back up Um, And actually one more thing, we have like a local Rotary Club and the Rotary Club stands for all sorts of really great things and, you know, their willingness to hold their members accountable and say, Hey, these actions are not in line with what we claim to believe in or the values that we ascribe to so that the Rotary Club doesn't just become a club for rich people to feel good about themselves, but really a club that does good things um, and where people better themselves. And I think that's what we're missing is sort of the accountability aspect of the equation.
0: So then with what you've said, do you think progressives really stand a chance in rural America, at least for what you know, rural Wisconsin?
2: Yes. So my mother-in-law uh, is very conservative, very centered in her faith. And her uh, Bible group had a conversation sometime last year about what have the Republicans really done to reduce abortion? They talk about it every election cycle, but what are they really doing? And so for her and her ser- to have that conversation tells me we're in a a good place and there's reason to have hope. Um, So, you know, for me and my conversations with her and what I would say to her Bible study, which I at one time was a part of, was, look, Democrats are working to foster a community where people have the freedom to choose life, to you know, have families to get married to do these things that you want for your children and want for, you know, other people and have a, you know, a family centered community. And Republicans talk that talk, because they know it gets your vote, but look at what they do once they get elected. And, you know, the more sort of one on one personal conversations we can have, I think the more effective Will be uh, there's a study I forget who did it, but presenting information that somebody is wrong just pushes them further back into their corner. That's um, a backfire that's the effect. Yes, the backfire effect. Uh, and so you can't just come in and you know I'm enough on the spectrum to you know you say the sky is green, I'm gonna say no, it's not, it's blue. Like it's just how I'm wired, and so I've learned to kind of shut up and. <laughs> To take a step back. But I, I think if we can start having conversations where we ask questions of help me understand why you feel that way. Help me understand your perspective. Are you willing to hear me out on my perspective? I think we have shared values, but I'm looking at this differently, you know, so that we're articulating that we are not the enemy, that we're articulating, hey, we have things in common, but we have some differences. This is actually interesting, not a reason to be combative or defensive. It's not me against you. We're just talking here. No one's chasing us. There's no bear um, to kind of diffuse what otherwise starts to feel like a, a charged conversation. And
0: I think you hit the nail right on the head. When we're talking about persuasion or persuading anybody on anything, It's always about controlling how much they're actually able to accept. Where if you try to start talking about something that they have absolutely no care for at all, they're not going to be willing to accept it at all because it's not within their comfort zone. It's way too out there for them. So if we're going to talk to like rural Americans about, hey, by the way, you know that gender doesn't exist, like that would probably freak them (laughs) out. You know? So
2: (laughs) I think you'd be surprised. Um, Gender is one of those issues. I, I think God has a tremendous sense of humor and is very funny. But you know, there's there are transgender children of very strong conservative Trump supporters, and it sort of forces them to either, you know, hate their child or get over it and evolve. And I mean, if Dick Cheney can evolve on the issue, I'd like to believe there's hope for everyone. <laughs> so that is one of those issues that I think is actually going to move the community forward. Although I understand the, the trans bills are just disgusting uh, that have been in place and, you know, bullying trans kids is just cruel. But yeah, no, I, I, I see a lot of hope for the community and I, I do believe there's more that unites us than divides us. It just becomes a matter of being able to have those conversations, which I will admit, I am, at my best, I'm good at, at my worst, I am not. Um, <laughs> where it's the get there faster, how are you falling for this? Uh, which can be very offensive to someone Who's like you're calling me stupid? And like, well, okay, I mean, um, you said it, not me. But you know, I tried to stay away. I tried to lead with empathy and be mindful of the fact that as a female attorney, liberal from California, I'm already approaching the conversation with a certain label and the stigma that I need to tread lightly, or the other person's not going to stay at the table.
0: So, as someone who's campaigned in rural Wisconsin, what advice would you give to city liberals or urban liberals or progressives who are just not familiar? With talking to rural Americans, how to frame these issues, or how would you frame these issues in such a way that makes them more palatable to these types of voters?
2: I would say, you know, plug in. Uh, the, the idea of sister districts is really neat. So you take communities that are affluent or who are doing okay and who are very strongly democratic and they adopt, um, or take under their wing communities that need a little bit more help. You know, the upside of a rural community like Northwestern Wisconsin is that money goes a long way. Uh, radio is still a very effective way to campaign. It's fairly inexpensive as compared to, you know, other means of campaigning, But in terms of approaches, I would say listen to understand Uh, not coming in with assumptions, not coming in with insults. Um, You know, what's interesting is we tend to be fish in water and we are so blind to our own implicit and explicit biases that we will become the bullies ourselves if we don't watch it as liberals. And so one of the things that's interesting, we have these uh, forums, these Facebook community groups, and there are Republican operatives who will go to work. And Democrats or progressives who don't know better tend to fall for it every time. So if you're an alien from outer space and you come in and you read one of these threads, you think, wow, this Democrat is a real jerk and totally putting this person down and calling them stupid. And I don't like that person at all. Meanwhile, the Republican operative is saying things that are completely wrong, uh, completely illogical, completely offensive. But if you don't understand the context of what they're saying, they're not cursing, they're not obviously racist, then it looks like they're the nice person, they're the victim in the situation. And so So I think Democrats really
0: matters. Basically
2: it's, it's civility. It's being mindful of tone. It's being mindful of dog whistles and messaging and how Republican operatives can get a lot of mileage out of exploiting people's outrage to their ridiculousness. And they'll say things that are just so offensive. I get it. Where you're just like, what in the hell is wrong with you? This is not okay. But being mindful of the fact that you're writing for the grandma who's on Facebook, reading through the thread, going, oh, that makes sense. Not trying to convince the operative who's not acting in good faith to begin with, who's just trying to further their narrative in the community.
0: Awesome. Now, and to kind of wrap this all up, I do know that you do some work with with the super pack for Manaqua Brewing Company, correct?
2: I do. We get into quote good trouble routinely. <laughs> we
0: are big fans, <laughs> by say, the way. So as two big fans of Minocqua Brewing Company, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with them and any updates that you would like to give?
2: Yeah, I am so honored to be working with Kirk Bangstad. We're very similar in sort of our, the gear in which we operate and envision things getting done, so it works well. But his commitment to sort of public service and his view and Vision for a community that is strong and uh, is just something I, I really admire. But in terms of what's coming down the pike, We um, are really working hard, hitting the radio waves, getting the message out. You know, one of the things that hurts rural communities is is the assumption that the media is liberal and if the Republicans are doing something bad, we'll all hear about it. When the truth is, nobody hears about it and you hear about it come election time, but people then dismiss it as just mudslinging and this is just election talk. Uh, So by getting these messages out when it's not election season, the hope is to sort of start conversations and increase increase accountability, or at least raise the bar on expectations of what people expect from their public servants or what are supposed to be public servants. We are uh, hoping and planning to have a free beer giveaway for anybody who has been, who has gotten their vaccine in the month of May. Uh, and if we can swing it with public health, we'd like to be able to vaccinate on site. But we're getting a lot of pushback. Uh, the Good Old Boys Club up in Minocqua is giving Kirk hell um, because apparently they want the pandemic to continue on as opposed to you know people buckling down, getting vaccinated and us putting an end to this stuff. But yeah, that's pretty much been our our focus. We've been doing a lot of work with Citizen Action. Uh, They're an incredible group. Uh, They've been on the phones, reaching out to voters, particularly on the issue of fair maps. Uh, There's this misconception that it's okay if there is cheating, if it's your team that's cheating. Uh, The idea is, you know, are the Packers going to call a foul on their own team? Of course not. So, you know, whatever. But when it comes to democracy, fair maps matter. And it hurts everybody, Republican and Democratic voters alike, to have rigged maps because you have situations where the politician doesn't have to go to bat for their community when They have maps with enough people who will vote for them based on the letter next to their name. And that's what we've seen basically over the last 10 years in Wisconsin. So we're really putting in a lot of work and effort, not only into the Medicaid expansion and raising awareness about what that means for our rural communities, particularly on the issue of mental health and access, but also on the issue of fair maps. So we can really start to restore the good government that Wisconsin was once known for. Are you guys still doing billboards up north as well? We are working on billboards. We... We're really working hard uh, to have a war chest going into 2022. So we're trying not to spend everything, but if fundraising stays strong, our billboards will continue. We do have a uh, Marie Antoinette Let Them Eat Cake with Ron Johnson uh, up in the north, which uh, we pride ourselves in. And if you, if even one person Googles it, it's a win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, and I know Milwaukee, oh my God.
1: <laughs> Milwaukee.
0: Milwaukee. And you know, Manaqua Brewing Company is very well received, honestly, all around the state, if not around the country. I mean, I've seen actually like people in other other Facebook groups I'm a part of that are like nationwide or worldwide host Monaco Brewing Company stuff, in that, which is
1: actually really, really cool. I had to fight to get nice. the, the cans that we sampled right, exactly.
0: Earlier. So I know they're very popular with liberals, Democrats from all around the state and all around the country, but how are they usually perceived in their own communities? And how are they perceived up north where you guys are doing a lot of this type of outreach?
2: Yeah. So, uh, so I'm down in Hudson. I'm sort of in the little corner of the 7th. Uh, Kirk can probably speak a little bit more to the backlash that he gets from Minocqua. And he gets into that a little bit uh, on our Super PAC page and just, you know, it's ugly. I mean, it's it feels like a 90s mafia movie of the, the shenanigans they try to pull with them. You know, in Hudson, River Falls, it doesn't feel like there's a pronounced sentiment because it's not something that's really been done before. Uh, so right now, actually, just recently, uh, McDonald's finally uh, replaced our billboard. But for the, something like six weeks, we had a billboard of Tom Tiffany and Ron Johnson with a picture of the noose from the January 6th insurrection attempt. And it said no unity until... These guys stop lying, and the beauty of it is, as you're driving by and looking at it, it's not clear if that's a billboard placed by liberals, Republicans, conservatives, because you know that statement speaks to everyone in a different way. But this is really the first time that we've had a group like this communicating with voters, raising these issues outside of the regular election cycle. Uh, so, you know, I haven't really heard much pushback in my capacity as the executive director of from aqua brewing company, super pack. So, which makes it a lot of fun right now (laughs) is we're just making these things and putting them up. And uh, we really appreciate the support from all over the country. Uh, I really, it, it takes a village and sometimes a national village, but that money goes a real long way and really helps us, uh, you know, hit the radio waves. And actually, up in Rhinelander, NBC network television is shockingly inexpensive. So we even had a commercial running not too long ago. So as funds permit, we'll start doing more of that. Uh, to reach viewers as well, to just try to get people thinking and asking questions and really demanding more. Uh, one of the things Republicans are so good at is lowering the bar of expectations for public service. So I, I'll never forget on uh, my opponent's uh, Facebook page, somebody made a comment about what a schmuck he is and basically didn't work at all in 2020. He was down in Florida with his business that he doesn't disclose to taxpayers and is required by ethics and law. And one of his supporters said, well, you're an idiot if you think government's ever going to work for you. <laughs> it was like, okay, so we're going to pay him 50,000 a year, give him all these That's benefits. The and-
0: That's that right. what they do though. They would say yes. screw the whole system. They're all bad. It doesn't matter. They're basically the same right. thing. So might as well just keep me in power.
2: Right. And it, I mean, it's the whole, if it pisses off the liberals, then it's a win for me. Right. And, you know, well, that doesn't put food on your table. That doesn't put money in your bank account. And that doesn't, you know, give your family and yourself a life to be proud of. So it might feel good to be angry and resentful and, you know, happy with someone else's demise. But I'm sure some psychologists out there would have some words to say about, you know, that's not a function of healthy psychology. And the extent to which we can start saying, you know, deriving pleasure from the dysregulation of someone else is a sign that something is not okay. And we're not as a society kind of used to saying that. Um, but the more sort of the mental health community can sort of step up and say, eh, I don't think you want to admit to that, because that suggests to me something is very wrong. Um, or maybe we should get you some help, as opposed to that being a popular sentiment. I mean, the fact that Trump made it cool to dysregulate liberals, I, I mean, it- it's shocking that, uh, you know, he's basically standing up and saying, I have a personality disorder, you know, who wants to join me? And people are like, "Ooh, I do too. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> Okay. Um, but that's not good leadership.
0: Well, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. If anyone wants to find you online, where would they go?
2: Yeah. So I transferred my my campaign page over to Wisp Mama Bear. So if they search my name, they'll see me. Um, my podcast season one is done. Season two is in the works. Uh, we'll get picked up shortly. And it's carried by all the, the podcast hosts, uh, uh, but Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I've recently discovered Twitter, and it's great fun. Um, <laughs> uh, my old campaign website is still up. I will retire it once we have a new candidate uh, for 2022. Uh, but it was such a, a great piece of work, and the, the woman who created it just such a great job on it. I sort of savoring it for as long, not for my candidacy per se, but because you know the the content was really well done and was just really proud of my team and all the work that went into it. Uh, so a few different avenues, um, yeah, but essentially Googling me will, will find your way to me.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And seriously, guys, go check her out. Please check out our podcast with Mama Bear. It's amazing. Do what you said, Google her. So Sarah, <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great rest thank of the night. Thank you. And you as well. Thank you again, Sarah. And I would love to have you back on again. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at thinkpropod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively.
1: First up in headlines, as expected, Lynn Cheney has been Lynn voted. Cheney. Lynn Cheney? Ah. isn't Isn't that like Lon Cheney? That was like the first up in headlines.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that was, just, that was a good timing.
1: Yeah, there's a truck two houses down that occasionally has a half-American, half-Confederate flag. Oh, great. On it. I kind of want to burn their house down. I'm definitely deleting that from this recording. I don't want that evidence when their house mysteriously burns down.